0: Hey, let's pray together. Dear Lord, a lot of folks here need supernatural love to break through. We may not know what is going on in their minds and their hearts, uh, but they have—they need you. And so I pray that uh, if you have not made yourself evident to them, that you would, you would push through whatever else is blocking their heart, they would see your supernatural love, that you came, Jesus, to us, you died for us, you died for them. And I know that can sound like a Sunday school statement. That's a, that's a big, big deal. If, if, it, if it's not for you, we don't, we don't have life. We don't have life eternal. We don't have life now. I pray that we would know that and that would change us from within and make us love others more and love this city more and love this world more. We have to know what you've done. Show us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank y'all y'all can have a seat if you would uh, you can take a Bible if you do not have a Bible there's some in the back you could turn to Matthew chapter 5 we're going to just go through a few verses Matthew 5 I'm gonna read verse 11 through 16 uh, but before we do that a couple things I'd like to say uh, first off is uh, I really hope you listen today not that you don't listen but you know what I'm saying like Kind of really tune in. This is a very personal sermon. Uh, it's a standalone sermon. It's not connected to a series. We're going to start a fall series next week, going through First Peter. It's called "In Not of How We Live in This World Not of It," and we'll get into that. But today is uh, it's it's a standalone, and it is uh, it's personal to me. Uh, it's also about us as a people. Uh, it begins with what today is, September 11th. September 11th, and uh, I hope that uh, you will join me in in remembering, praying for uh, people who lost loved ones, but also people who've lost loved ones since then, uh, in wars or in service to our country. And so it was 15 years ago, and I remember that day very, very well. That day changed my life. Uh, It changed it, I think it changed a lot of our lives, but it, it definitely changed the trajectory, and what I mean by that is the direction of where my life was going. Uh, y'all know me, uh, I'm pretty honest, and will continue to be so. Uh, I woke up September 11th, I was a lost person, I was a lost person. Uh, I did not wake up in my apartment, okay? Uh, I was just starting seminary too, it's interesting. And I met my wife the day before, September 10th, uh, which interesting, this time is kind of special, we met September 10th, we real. Remember, because of September 11th, actually, 10 years ago today, we found out we were pregnant with Jack, which was also kind of interesting, the way God works, and, uh, but I didn't wake up in her apartment either, okay, so just, uh, so, not there yet, anyway, that's another story, but I was, uh, I was lost, I was lost, uh, went to, we were still having an orientation, uh, at seminary, so obviously went in with the same clothes on from the night before, and not feeling well. But uh, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, who now lives in Nashville, he said, "You know, man did you hear, it? plane hit. I mean, I think all of us remember the moment hit the you know World Trade Center, Pentagon. I was like, man, what's?" I actually left class. I was like, man, I got to find a TV. And I, I found the close TV and was in time to see the towers, you know, crumbling. And it, I still remember like the jolt, like, this is just surreal. It was just like, what, what, what's going on? What is happening? So I was lost at that point, but I was also longing, okay? And I don't know, maybe some of you feel like that. You're lost, but you're longing. I mean, I know we got some lost brothers and sisters in here today. But we got a lot of others who are longing for something. At that point in my life, I was longing. I mean, I was in seminary. I was longing to do something. I was opposed to being a pastor at that point. That's another story. Opposed, and I'm not. Uh, I mean, I was in opposition to that. And but I was longing to to give my life to something. To something. Uh, days, weeks, months after that, uh, even about a year after that, I really considered the military. Uh, I have some really good friends who are in the military, serve in the military. Pretty soon after that, one buddy went to Afghanistan. Uh, Another buddy of ours uh, joined the Marines. He did tours, Afghanistan, Iraq. And so I just had this big sense of call to literally give my life away for something. And I began to then really begin thinking about uh, the church, as in like being part of the church, being a pastor. And I also got to know people who were pastors. And in essence, I became found. You know, there's the old saying, you're lost and you're found. Over the course of about three years, I was was found. And several things helped me, and I won't get into those things. But I did commit my life to the church, to to the church as both an organization, because it is an organization. It has people, it has structure, it has functions, uh, but also as a supernatural organization, because the church is different in that way. It's an organization, but Jesus started it, and I say all that because, and this is this sermon is important to me because it, it's kind of my belief of who we should, who we should be as, as a people, and not church in general, not as Christian in general, but like here, here, if you're in this room, in this house, and you may be visiting, and we're thankful you're here, but particularly those who are like, man, this is home, who we should be. And so I use this passage in Matthew 5 to um, because I think it's actually Jesus was talking about the church. And let me say this before I read it. I always thought that, you know, I could be a Christian on my own. You know, just give me a Bible and, you know, I I can take care of it. I can pray. But since that time, 15 years later, because I did think that in 2001, Since that time, I have seen that, you know, real growth in Christ happens in community. And and I would say like this, the gospel, which is the good news, is only known to you and only shown to the world in community. Not individually. Because somebody sometime told you about it. That's community too, okay? You, You grow in community, okay? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is only known to you individually and shown to the world in a community. And then I would say that Christians together can create a countercultural community. Because that's what we should be and that's what we're about to see. Not my opinion, what Jesus says. That evokes, big word there, means brings about, both attraction and And animosity, a countercultural community that brings up from others both attraction but also some animosity. Jesus says this. So Matthew 5, I'm going to read verse 11 through 16. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want to highlight or focus on four words here, okay? Light, salt, persecute, and blessed. Four words in that passage. Light, salt, persecuted, and blessed. First, light. He says, you are the light of the world, and then a city set on a hill. He uses two metaphors, light of the world, city set on a hill. Now, light in the Bible would always mean truth, okay? So Jesus is the ultimate truth. He's the ultimate light. But Jesus is also saying, now you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. That his community, his church, is also a light to the world. Now, how is that? Now, when he says city on a hill... It's interesting that, that, that in ancient times and to today, okay, uh, cities would be, be built on like the, the biggest hill. And so the lights from the city, the, the torches or the lamplight or whatever they had back then, could be seen for miles and miles in the distance. And, and you can still see this now, uh, those of us who've been to Honduras. Do you all remember what I'm talking about? You know, where we stay, you can see up in the hills... The lights of communities, they have electricity now, they have power, but they're built high so people can see. Uh, if you go off the top of my head, I think of, of Italy uh, or Sicily even, but cities would be built, actually Jerusalem's this way too, cities built on, on hills on the highest points so people could see the lights from all around. And so here Jesus is saying he's the ultimate light, but he's saying You're, we're the light too. You know, 80% of all Christians, this is, this is truth, 80% of all Christians think they can, they can totally be a Christian just on their own, just, just individually. And, and that, that's not what we see here. It's not what we have here. That's not what Jesus is saying. So how, again, can we be light? How can we show light? How, how can we be what Jesus is talking about? I, I want to use a couple of metaphors. The first one... I'm teaching Jack, and we've got this placemat, like, like a placemat on our table. We have different placemats. They're kind of, you use them for teaching tools. But one's a solar system. Who knows what a solar system is? Let me make sure you're following me. Solar system, you know what I'm talking about? Okay? Just checking, okay? Uh, a solar system is not a system unless all the planets agree on the center. Okay? I mean, if you've got all the planets saying, no, I'm the center, you know, you've got Pluto's, I'm the center, Earth saying, I'm the center, it's not a system, there's there's chaos. It's kind of the same way with us. Got to agree on the center. Let me use a uh, a better example. I think it's more powerful. I said this last week. If y'all are here, I hate cancer. Who hates cancer? Say Amen. 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 Thank you. Okay. Hate cancer. Have had uh, family members, friends, you know, taken all that. Hate cancer. We're talking physical cancer. There is also a spiritual and relational cancer that can happen very easily because it's in our human nature and can spread very easily. And I call this cancer me first. So, so I, my nature is I've got a me first heart. Can I, can I get it even simpler than that? You know, me first. My heart says me first. And use a, a marriage as another example. A marriage is, I believe, only successful, and we can tell you, we've had our challenges and problems, and it had not always been this way, okay? A marriage is really only successful if you have two people saying, you first. You first. No, you first. You first. If two people are saying, you first, it's not only going to survive, it's going to thrive. If you have one or both saying, me first, there's going to be Damage. And I'm not saying the marriage won't survive. I'm just saying it's going to be big time tough if one or both are saying me first. And the problem is that's how our hearts are bent. So we're actually, believe this, without Christ going into this, this huge, gigantic, enormous task called marriage. And it's beautiful. But you're going into it with to me first. And if that does not change to you first, it's going to be tough. Uh, now, you may debate. It's like, no, I'm, I'm you first or... You know, I'm just, I'm that way. Children are me first. Have a baby, have a child. What does that child want? That child wants his way. We are born with a me first heart. And and I did hear somebody say this, that, you know, what, what we as parents teach our children best is to hide that me first. To hide it as we grow up. Now, if you become a Christian, and that's an if, okay? If you become a Christian, Jesus should put a death blow to your me first heart. How do you become a Christian? Here's how. You become a Christian, and this is, let me get really serious, because I don't know if all of you are Christian. You become a Christian by both repentance and faith. Both. Repentance and faith. Okay? Hear me on that, repentance and faith. Because you've got to say, I've got a me first heart. Jesus, I need you. I can't can't get it out. I can't erase that. I need you. That's repentance. And then faith that Jesus has done it. He took took our sins, took it on the cross. And you're like, how did he take my sin? He stood in the gap and covered. He he knows you have a me first heart. So you believe that Jesus took it. Took it for you. So that repentance and faith is salvation. And that gives... If you're real about it, it's it's a death blow to your me first heart. Now, I said this last week, that puts us in remission. The cancer's still there. You're like, how do you know that? Well, the Bible, Paul talks about living in this body, old self, new self together. Old self, new self. The new self is there. The cancer's in remission. You know, I'm growing and I'm, I'm, I'm getting better, but the old self is there. So we have both. Until either we meet the Lord or the Lord comes home and we meet him here. We have both. Old self, and new self. But in Christ, it's in remission. There's been a death blow. And then, talking about how we can be light, that should change everything. And if it hasn't changed everything, then maybe you should evaluate if you're a Christian or not. Seriously. We're able to forgive. Easily. We're able to reconcile. Easily. I think, in Christ. Uh, we are very careful with our words. We change in how we look at, and I'm going to use these, sex, money, and power. Because before Christ, before salvation, we were consumers. And now, after Christ, we should be stewards. That all of those three, yes, even sex is a giving. Sex, money, power. should give it away. And that's what the church should be, light to the world. That's how we can be light, to forgive, to reconcile, to love, to serve, but also change how we see the, the resources God's given us, to steward those. And so I'd ask you, you know, are, are, you, uh, are you knit in to a community like that here? I use that word knit a lot, I'm a, so I use it again, but I want to use an even stronger word. Are you cemented in? Because, you know, fabric can be torn, and maybe that's my fault. Like someone says, "Well, I've been knitting, but it tears." Cemented in. You Can't tear cement. You can't. It's Solid. Are you cemented in? And to be cemented in, and I'm, I mean, I'm really just saying this. It, that does not mean coming two to three times a month because you either like the music or message or both. I mean, it just. It's not. The church being the light of the world. But to be light, we shine forth as Christ. Light also, and this is why it's tough sometimes, light exposes darkness. Light exposes warts. So a lot of times, a lot of us, we just want to we'd rather stay in the dark. We don't want to be exposed. And then light is also it is good deeds, but good deeds does not just mean being nice to everybody. I mean, like serving, you know, committing to a place, a corner, physical property, a neighborhood, a city. Saying, we want to make this city better because of us. That's light of the world. Let's move on. Salt. we got three more. Salt. But these are, these are a little shorter. Salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. All, I've always wondered, like, how, so I, I get light of the world. Salt of the earth is a little harder for me to, to get. And again, I'm talking about a countercultural community, which should be the church. How does that how does that happen? Okay, we've had light, salt, salt to the earth, and I read this book about salt to the earth. It's actually written by a lady named Rebecca Manley Pippert. Um, It's it's called "Being the Salt Shaker," but she focused on salt as being a preservative. Okay, and as I was reading and thinking about this, it 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 has changed. I'll be honest; it's changed the way that I live as a Christian. Not the light, the salt, okay? Hear me out. Salt's a preservative. So in the ancient times, as Jesus was talking, they would put salt on meats because obviously they didn't have refrigeration. They put salt on the meats and it would kill the bad organisms and keep, preserve what's good. So we should see ourselves, as this countercultural community, we're preserving what's good. Have you all ever noticed... Be real clear here. Have y'all ever noticed how human relationships are always blowing up? Period. They're always blowing up. And I'm not talking about, I mean, you could look, I mean, September 11th. I mean, nations, you know, the wars, the, the thing. I mean, relate, it, it stems from me first hearts. So relationships are always blowing up. But it doesn't just happen like with people who don't know each other. It happens with people who do know each other. Friends. Family, workplace, schools, relationships are always blowing up. And then, you know, people will say, Well, they'll you know, I'm mad at this person, or they'll take offense, or you know, say I was wronged, or there'll be slights and they'll you know really keep those slights. It'll be salt to the earth. I'm serious. We don't do that. We don't do that. No, No, it's not impossible. No, it's not. But repentance and faith come back in Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to finish with how we can really do this. We're going to come back to Jesus. But salty that we don't do that. Uh, We don't take on a slight and carry it around. Uh, We don't, say you know I'm going to end that or I'm going to walk away. Uh, We preserve. What's good if we're salt the earth? We're preservatives, preserving what's good in the relationship. And so that does mean saying, you know, I want to keep what's good and hold on to that and focus on that rather than saying I'm going to focus on what's, what's bad. So we overlook slights. You know, we don't get easily angry. We, we do forgive readily. We do walk in love and grace. We can speak truth, but we preserve what's good about the relationship. We don't shoot off anger emails. Not that any of us have, but I mean, I've been—you shoot off an angry email or something like that, you know. We preserve what's good. How do we be this counterculture community, light of the world, salt of the earth? We stay in the room. We stay at the table. We preserve what's good. Real quick, moving on. Persecuted. I do want to focus on this one a little bit. Verse 11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of things of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus is saying you're persecuted. Three quick things on persecuted, okay? It's not if, it's when. Okay? Jesus doesn't say if. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. I did say at the beginning, Christians can create, please listen to me, a countercultural community that evokes, brings up both attraction, because light attracts, and animosity, and animosity. So persecuted, first thing, it's not if, it's when. Second thing, he does say, though, on his account, and I want to highlight this because this has happened to me personally when I was lost, it's happened to me actually when I was found, uh, and I've been guilty of this too. He says, you know, you're persecuted on my account. Let's make sure if we're persecuted, it's in Jesus' name, like it's about Jesus. It's not about us. Here's what I mean by this. I want to show a scripture, 1 Peter 4, 15 through 16. Look at this. 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16 says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Okay? Have verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. Now, like, what are you talking about there? He's suffering. Well, Jesus adds, or Peter adds, a meddler. Suffer as a meddler, okay? And there's an old saying that, you know, if you're, as a Christian, if you're always going around saying, you know, you should do this, and you shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that, and just tell everybody how to live their life, okay? And then they blow you off, or, you know, you're persecuted, you know, in a, in a diplomatic way, maybe, but you're persecuted. You're not being persecuted because of Jesus' name. You're being persecuted because you're obnoxious. Okay? No, I'm serious. Like, you're telling, you know, you should do this, do that, do that. Anybody ever receive that? You know? Jesus says here that, you know, for for his name, for his sake, you know, are you pointing people to Christ? Are you you loving them? Not just telling them what they should and shouldn't do. And then the third thing, I, I think about this, and I'm going to share a quick story, but I think a lot of times we can be persecuted just for helping. Just like we're just trying to help a brother or sister. Here's, here's a great metaphor. And, I mean, you can read into it as much as you want to, but, um, I mean, I heard this. I don't, know what, I don't know who the preacher was, but it's great. So there was this one pastor, who's walking in a park, okay, in a city. And he sees this, uh, this like, you know, hairy creature or something. Maybe it's a squirrel or something. But the reason he doesn't know what it is is half its body is stuck in this can of, like, food or sweets. So, you know, he sniffed it out, smelled it, and he got in there. You know, he was digging around. He got stuck. He he couldn't get out. So the pastor says, oh, this is a great sermon illustration because we're kind of like sponges. We see little things like it. It's a great sermon. You know, that you can have this idol, and it can be money or sex or power, and, and get in there, and, you know, you're stuck in it. So then he's a good-hearted dude. He goes over trying to help the creature out. When he gets there, he realizes it's a skunk. Okay? You know where I'm going here? Because he's just there to help. And the the little creature is is stuck. He's just there to help. And so he's like, oh man, I mean, you know, I'm gonna try to help, but then you know, I could get I don't know, I don't know what you call it, but shot or hit or, I don't know, you know, zapped. I don't know what, thankful it's never happened, but so you got to, well, what kind of angle do I, you know, how do I do this? And often that's very much the case, being salt and light. Like we see brothers and sisters, we're trying to help. I'm not saying anybody's a skunk, so don't hear me on that, okay? Seriously, but, you know, we're trying to get them unstuck and yet, We get zapped. I say we still help. Why? Well, that's what Jesus calls us to do. And so that's one of the ways we can be persecuted. Just by helping. Just by trying to help a brother or sister out. Not my opinion, just what Jesus says. So, I would ask you this. Are you ever persecuted for your faith? Are you? Because if you're not, let me ask you this. Is your bubble too small? Is is your bubble too small? Because you don't have to go far. I mean, we're buckle of the Bible belt. However, you can, I mean, just go down the street, you know, invite a neighbor. You can go to some of the the parties that we go to. I mean, I'm I'm not persecuted, but it's a diplomatic persecution. Sometimes I go to a party, you know, two examples. One, uh, this was over Christmas, but this guy's like, uh, man, I don't know why y'all go to India. Oh, y'all nuts. Y'all nuts. I mean, good grief. Give me a break. I mean, obviously, there's like four or five, you know, liquors in, um, you know. But he was pretty open. And we're friends, too, by the way. But he's like, man, what's all that about? Uh, another guy just recently, he, this one was really persecuted, but he was, I've never, never really asked, had this asked him. He's like, how lonely is it being a pastor? I said, pretty lonely. Not confessing anything there. But he did ask me that. So are you persecuted for your faith? If you're not, you're like, well, what if I'm not? Well, then Jesus is saying that you put it under a basket. Not my words, Jesus' words. Verse 15, he says you put it under your basket. I do think if you're not, like, criticized at all, if you're not, like, got some tough situation, then, then I do think that the bubble's too small. Because I think that we're called to be salt and light, and that evokes both attraction, but some animosity, too. Okay? So how do we get, I'm going to close with this, how do we get inner poise? I love that word, poise. Inner poise. Better word words that serene confidence uh, to share our faith, to communicate, to stand, to just walk, and, and not have the, the burden or the weights or the anxieties when we're trying to help a brother or sister out, make it zapped, or to share. We know we might get, how do we, how do you have that? It's a great question. How do you do that? And this is the last word, blessed. Verse eleven says Jesus starts with blessed. The other ten verses before, then he says blessed are, and these are known as the beatitudes. Now, focus on the word blessed because a lot of folks have said like, "What does that mean? What does blessed mean?" You know, blessed. I mean, you know, I mean, we're in the south. You know, God bless you, bless. Most biblical scholars believe, and they're a smart, lot smarter than I am, the direct translation of this word, this is real important, it means successful. It means accomplished. It means someone that you would want to emulate. And so, you read it like that, it doesn't make sense. You know, successful are the poor in spirit. I'm looking at verse 3, for there's a kingdom of heaven. Successful and accomplished are those who mourn. Successful are the meek. Successful are those who hunger and thirst. Successful are the merciful for they should receive mercy. Accomplished? How does, that, how does that translate to us? It translates by this Jesus Christ came to the world, He's the only way we're saved, and He totally turned upside down the ideas of success and accomplishment. And, and most, of them, most of us, our biggest challenge is we've never allowed those ideas to be turned upside down. Jesus Christ, not only did he turn the world upside down, but the very, our notions of successfulness, accomplishments, Jesus changed. How did he change it? Well, let's go back to the, and this is how you want to have poise, how you want to have serene confidence, we look to Jesus. But not as a Sunday school, please hear me, most important thing I'm saying, not as a Sunday school kind of cliche phrase, and as As Southerners, as Bible Belt believers, we get caught up with this. No, as he really is going through the Beatitudes. How are how are we kings in heaven? Because that's what the Bible says, verse three. Because Jesus came poor. I mean, like dirt poor. He did not come in royalty. He did not come with power. How are we comforted? Because Jesus mourned. He wept. He wept when Lazarus died. He wept when he was dying. How do we inherit the earth? He was meek. He died in the dark. He gave it up for us. How are we satisfied? Verse 6, Jesus said, I thirst on the cross. All of this stuff, we got to look to Jesus. How do you have inner poise? How do you have serene confidence? you got to know what Jesus did for you personally and then what he commands us as a people to be salt and light. That we will get persecuted. But we are blessed in Christ alone. In Christ alone. And if you don't know that, then often we're just kind of playing church as a game, or especially here, because, you know, church, I mean, it kind of, you know, it networks you into the fabric of a community. But to be a countercultural community, I'm really serious here. It only happens in Christ alone. And you get what he did. Because he poured himself out totally for his enemies, I can pour myself out too. You can too. Because he loved those who persecuted him and spit on him. I can do that too. But it is in Christ alone. And so, I mean, may we, you know, I'm going to pray. We're going to close. They're going to come up. We're going to sing Christ alone. We're going to take communion. I'd love for you to use this time to look to him. I'd love for you to come to him in repentance and faith. And I'm being really serious here. Like, I I mean, I'm definitely not sure everybody's a Christian here. I don't think there's been a heart change. Because I see how... How we can act with one another out there—it does change you. We're in remission when He saves us, so it's old new self. That's why we need one another. It happens in Christ alone and only. At, hold on, don't check out. That's a Sunday school cliche. You got to know that He bled and He wept and He died in the dark. And he was persecuted. He, he was killed. He came poor for you, for you. If he did that for you, what can you do for others? What can you do for others here? What can you do for others in the world? I'd love to find out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that it's about you. It's in Christ alone. In you is our hope. In you is our peace. In you we can be salt. Because what I just said is is tough. In you we can be likes. What I just said is tough. In you we will be persecuted. But only in you, totally and completely, we are blessed. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.